Hello everybody and welcome to the December 2020 Mark Leverage podcast. The final podcast, obviously, of a year that, let's face it, none of us are going to forget in a hurry, are we? We'd like to, but we simply won't be able to. The only thing I suppose that we can wish for is that next year, with vaccines just around the corner and with the hopefully the effects of various lockdown measures that have been taken in the latter part of this year, that gradually things will be able to return to normal. But I guess none of us will be holding our breath until it actually happens. It's been a weird year and uh, we can only hope that next year will not be half as weird as this one has been. Of course, one of the, uh, I was going to say disadvantages, or maybe it's advantages of being forced to spend more time at home, is that you start to look around your home and think, oh dear, oh dear, that painting needs doing. Oh dear, that needs that needs changing, or those shelves ought to be uh, repaired, and so on and so forth. Home DIY suddenly comes to the fore, even if it's not in your head, it'll be in perhaps your partner's head. As a result of this, for the last um, three weeks... We've had painters and decorators in doing some work for us. And of course, when you have people coming in and, and, and doing something like this, you, you need to clear the decks for them, don't you? You need, need to empty bookshelves and move furniture and so on. And as a result of, of the areas that we were having done, I had to empty the bookshelves that have all my magic books and magic magazines on them. And this was actually quite an interesting exercise because as I'm taking the books off the shelf, and if you've ever done this, you'll know what it's like. You take books off the shelf and you look at one of the books, you think, crikey, I'd forgotten I had that. And the next thing you know, you find yourself sitting on a chair or cross-legged on the floor, sort of leafing through a book and reminding yourself of all the things that you'd forgotten that you actually had. It's quite a salutary lesson, really, because I think when a new book that's of interest comes out and you, you make a purchase like that, you get that initial flush of enthusiasm, don't you? Where you, you open it up, you crack open the spine. Oh, this is wonderful. And you and you leaf through and you flick through. And you might read a few things that are of particular interest. And you think, oh, well, that's brilliant. Oh, dear, I've got to go and do so-and-so now. So you take the book and you put it on your shelf. And sometimes that's the last time it actually comes off the shelf. Until, of course, you're about to have decorating done. So I was perhaps a little feeling a little bit guilty about some of the books which I had hardly opened and I have now made a mental note that I really must when I get a few moments spare take some of those books back off the shelves now they've gone back on them again and have a proper look but what left even more of impression was the magazines that I unearthed you know a book with a big spine and the and the title facing you is one thing but little um, magazines that don't have anything on the spine, you, you don't always know you've got them. And I discovered a whole great pile of Harry Stanley's The Gen magazine. Now, when I was just getting into magic in the mid-60s as a child, I um, discovered Harry Stanley's Unique Magic Studio in London and his magazine. And because I didn't live in London, one of the only ways to, to get a magic fix was to be a, a subscriber. And I duly was. And so I still had a lot of the magazines that uh, I received directly from Harry Stanley. And in amongst the pile, there was also some um, earlier ones from the from the 50s, which um, I, I must have at some point bought as a job lot because I'd always enjoyed the Gen magazine. And looking through the magazines, it was it was really I suddenly had those feelings, particularly reading the adverts, the Harry Stanley adverts. It really created in me that feeling of 
of excitement that I used to feel as a youngster when I would open up the magazine and, and see all these name famous names at the time who I started to get to know but also seeing the adverts and salivating about the possibility of of buying a Neptune's chest or something like that something that was well beyond my financial means at the time but which I aspired to hugely and really because the only access that I had to the magic world was through that magazine it really was an important part of my magical life especially in those early days. So seeing those magazines again, it was it was lovely. It was like taking a trip down memory lane. So even if you're not having decorating done, I think sometimes it might pay to think, you know, tonight I'm going to go and see what's on my bookshelf. And you know, you might be really surprised what you find there. I was watching a comedy magician perform on YouTube the other day. And uh, during his show, the camera would cut away for audience reaction shots. And he, his act is really, really funny. And uh, most of the audience were absolutely in stitches. And each time that the camera went to the audience, you could see people laughing and, and really enjoying themselves. And then just occasionally, you would see somebody sitting in the middle of all these people who are obviously rolling in the aisles, as it were, with a stony look on their face apparently not in the slightest bit amused by something that everybody else thought was hilarious. And it struck me that that's the thing about humour, isn't it? As magicians, we're, if we use comedy in our magic, we're always trying to help everybody to have a good time, that everybody will laugh at what we say and what we do. But the fact of the matter is that humour to one person is, can be very different to what makes somebody else think something is funny. And then it started a thought process in my head to try and, and work out, well, so what is it that makes us laugh? Why does one person find what somebody says hilarious and somebody else doesn't find it amusing at all? And I, and I suppose it comes down to, to one or two things. It can be the, the teller, the person telling the joke, it can be the teller's tone. The, the, the way that he puts something across, whether he's sarcastic, whether he's laid back, whether he's manic or whatever it might be. It could be his character, that he has a, a particular character that you buy into or you don't. And this is true of a lot of television programmes, isn't it? Sitcoms, for instance. Some sitcoms, in fact most sitcoms, rely very heavily on character development and that it means that things that, that characters say are made funnier because it's coming from them, because we all know quite well, after a while, what their characteristics are. And so for them to be saying those lines makes it funnier than it would be for somebody else to say them. So sort of character. And also viewpoint, uh, a way of looking at the world. Uh, some people have a very particular way of looking at situations. There's a, there's a, a friend of my wife's who is... She's, she's not a comedian or anything, but she has this wonderful way of telling stories about relatively ordinary things. But she has a way of putting across the words that she uses and the way she expresses what happened that she can make even something that's quite serious and not funny at all incredibly funny to listen to. And she's brilliant at it. She's an archetypal comedy storyteller. And she's fantastic to spend time with because, she, as I say, she can take anything. And it's because of the way she looks at things and her character that she is really, really funny. 
And then another person who I find incredibly funny is my son, Tim. My son's in his mid-30s and uh, he has always had a wonderful way with words. He never tells jokes. I can't remember the last time he ever told a joke. But he has a way of expressing thoughts or ideas or viewpoints which just cracked me up completely. It's just so funny. He, he's so quick with it as well. A situation will occur and with all the, 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 the speed and timing of a seasoned professional comedian, he'll come out with some comment or some sort of appropriate line that is just bang on for that precise moment and is so funny as a result. So, you know, he is the sort of person who who can make, again, something that isn't funny, turn it into something that is. And another thing that's interesting is like catchphrases. You know, there are certain catchphrases. I think about Morecambe and Wise years ago. They had a number of catchphrases where Eric Morecambe would look at the top of Ernie Wise's head and say, you can't see the join, uh, implying that he has a wig on. Now, that line in itself is not funny at all. But he did it so often that it became a catchphrase, a running gag, which was used, so that the thing in itself, through the repetition, became funny, even though the thing itself is not funny, in the same way that he'd say, what do you think of it so far? And a statue would turn its head round and, and would mouth the words rubbish. Again, not actually that funny, but it happened on a regular basis with all sorts of different ways. And because it was a catchphrase, because it was a running gag, it made it funnier. So there are quite a lot of elements, aren't there, that go into to making up things, making things, making other people appreciate things are funny. And I suppose we all need to think a little bit about ourselves. What characteristics do we bring? Is it our character? Is it our tone, the way we develop things? Do we have any catchphrases that we can use? Do we have a particular viewpoint that we can turn into a regular thing throughout our act to make what we say funny? And if you can identify a few of those things... And then start to tailor what you say in order to accentuate those funny characteristics, then you can end up being a lot funnier than you would otherwise be. For the last 25 years or so, I've had a monthly subscription to a computer magazine called Computer Shopper. And I've always really enjoyed it because I'm not a I'm not a techie person as such, but I've always been quite interested in computers and, and the way they've progressed over the years and the various things that computers will do, the types of software. I'm not a gamer person. I don't play games at all on the computer. But obviously I've used um, a computer ever since the the Amstrad first came out when I got my first desktop computer. And ever since, I've always tried to keep up reasonably with the current innovations in computing. As And Computer Shopper was a shop window to that. It had lots of reviews, which I love to read, and gives opinion and also information. And I found it a very entertaining read. And the December edition arrived the other day because it's always like a couple, almost like a couple of months ahead of itself. And it said the final issue. And the editor inside was saying, unfortunately, the magazine was having to fold and finish publication. Now, Computer Shopper is one of the biggest computer magazines in the country. And it's owned by Dennis Publishing, who are a massive publishing company. And all the people like me who subscribe to Computer Shopper are, are being invited to continue with another magazine, which is one of their sister computer magazines. Different title, but, you know, similar sort of content. 
And But it seems such a shame that uh, all the people who'd written for Computer Shopper over the years were all going to lose their jobs or be transferred to another magazine, perhaps, or just simply retire, because some of them have been there ever since Computer Shopper, Shopper began in the, uh, the mid-'80s. And the editor said that the reason that they were having to close, in fact, they thought they were going to have to finish five years ago, because the the move of so many of their advertisers to only online advertising was affecting them. But they still managed to carry on for another five years before eventually the inevitable happened. This is all down so to advertisers thinking that having a printed magazine advert is not relevant anymore. And maybe in a computer magazine, they feel that more keenly than almost anybody else. But my argument has always been about this, that online advertising is absolutely core and essential of course it is and for us magicians advertising with a website and and maybe social media and google ads and facebook ads and all this sort of online activity is very important but in other ways as well offline advertising i think is can be equally relevant if you do it right choosing where to advertise your shows if you get that demographic of the readership, say, of a, a lifestyle magazine or something like that correct, can be very valuable because online stuff, generally speaking, people go online to find a service or something that they that they need. They think, oh, I need a magician. They type into Google magician in their area or whatever. But that that's only when they need something. What about the suggestion that they might need something? They're not going to think of a magician necessarily. Whereas if they happen to be sitting in a dentist's waiting room or something, or if they're just at home and they have a magazine on the on their coffee table and they're, they're leafing through it and they see an advert advertising magic, oh, that's a good idea. I never thought of that. That is where offline advertising really comes into its own. It's a way of surprising people with an idea that they might not otherwise have thought of. And to my way of thinking, although everybody will then go online in order to access the further information and to make an inquiry and, and possibly to book, the initial germ of the idea, that was the offline publicity doing its work. So I, I have always been a big fan of offline as well as online advertising. I think offline is equally relevant. You have to do it right and you have to do it in a way that will lead people to your online presence effectively. But it is nevertheless not something that should be ignored in favour entirely of just an online presence. Now, I've mentioned already in a couple of podcasts this year about the rise of Zoom performances and Zoom magic lectures. And a couple of weeks ago, I got the opportunity to present my brand new Zoom lecture, eClub Pro Live 2021, for the very first time. And it's as it was the first Zoom lecture that I'd done, I put an inordinate amount of preparation into it. It's funny, really, because although I've been lecturing since 1978, and there's not been a year in which I haven't done a lecture in all that time, I really was going into new uncharted waters here because whereas with a live lecture because I've done so many I know pretty much what to expect the parameters of how it's all going to work I have already in my head I know apart from the material obviously it's going to be different I know how I'm going to present it and what things are going to look like and so on 
But because I hadn't done a Zoom lecture before, there were all sorts of aspects of that that I wasn't quite sure about, that I wanted to make sure I was on top of in order to produce as professional a performance as I could. I really didn't want to give the impression that I just sat down at a table in my front room or in the kitchen and was just showing a few tricks. I wanted it to be more lectury, if that's the right word, more like a proper lecture. And in order to do that, I had to decide on a number of things, lighting, sound, how many cameras, and so on and so forth. What was the background going to be? What material was I going to use? How was I going to put it across? And that all these technical issues were something that I'd never had to, to do before. And so it was, I found it really, really interesting. In fact, incredibly absorbing. I mean, leading up the, the two or three days particularly, leading up to the actual night when I was going to do the, the, the lecture, I, I virtually didn't leave my office. I was so busy tinkering with things and, and, and trying this and trying that and, and, and just trying everything I could to make sure that by the time I actually got to do the lecture, I felt comfortable in the way it was going to look and the technical aspects that I was going to have to cope with on my own. Well, I'm pleased to say it seemed to go very well. I, I really enjoyed doing it. I was so glad that I had thought about it so much in advance because I really didn't want it to be a surprise, anything to be a surprise to me. I, I didn't like the thought of being a, a sort of slightly out of sorts because I'd never done it before. And because I'd practiced so much and because I'd thought about a lot of the elements that I thought could be a problem, fortunately, everything seemed to go really well. So that was great. And now I'm, I'm enthusiastic to, to do, the, to do the, the lecture again. So if you belong to a magic club uh, that's doing uh, Zoom meetings and you would like to have me come along in inverted commas and present my, my full new lecture for you, just get your club secretary or president to get in contact with me, magic at markleverage.co.uk. Or alternatively, just go to my website and look on the lectures page, so markleverage.co.uk forward slash lectures. And there's an, in fact, you'll find on that page not only information about the lecture and the prices and so on, but you'll also find a trailer, which I put together, extracting some of the footage from the first of this particular lecture that, I, that I've already done. And it would be lovely to um, attend virtually some of your clubs out there so please do get your the people that matter to get in contact with me so that we can arrange some dates i must say it was incredibly nice not to have to get in the car and drive up a motorway in the dark and the rain in order to present a lecture it was um it was very nice to be in a in a in familiar surroundings and i suspect that a lot of the the audience feel the same when they're at home they're much more relaxed when they have to go out and watch something so uh, maybe it's a win-win situation for, for, for just about everybody. Like most business people, I suppose, I spend an inordinate amount of time on my computer doing one aspect or other of my magic businesses. And there is nothing more annoying than when your computer decides that it's time for a super massive update. Someone like Microsoft comes along and without asking your permission starts to hang up your entire system and occupy your hard drive, in my case for three hours, while it does a massive Windows 10 update. 
It would have been nice had it done it in the middle of the night, but it didn't appear to. It's appeared to do it in the middle of the morning. And I spent, as I say, three hours virtually unable to operate the machine at all. I had to reboot it several times. And eventually, when I finally got back to being able to use it again, when the processor had stopped going nuts, I discovered all sorts of things, of course, had changed in the... In the uh, I suppose in the attempt to improve the software, they made all sorts of things not work anymore. Or they made things slow down. Or they took away a lot of the settings that I had in certain software and kind of put it back to the factory settings. So I had to go back in again and, and sort out the things that I used regularly and kind of put them back in place so that they were always there when I needed them, all that sort of thing. It was a whole morning, completely frustratingly annoying. And it made me wonder, computers are one of the only things in your life where without being asked normally, somebody comes along and takes over and stops you doing what you want to do and does something to your, in this case, computer that you're trying to do it with. And I thought, I wonder, wouldn't it be odd? I know this is a crazy thought, but wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be odd if you could reboot your magic life like that. If one day you woke up in the morning and you'd always been a bizarre magician, bizarre magic entertainer, and you woke up one morning and you couldn't remember a single bizarre magic effect, and all you could think of was getting out and entertaining at a children's show. How bizarre would that be? Right, oh my goodness, I need kids, I need kids tricks, you'd be saying to yourself. You'd be contacting dealers saying, What's the latest kids show material? I mean, that would be very unusual, but it's, it's kind of the way it might go, mightn't it? Or it might say, OK, we've wiped clean all your magic experience from the last 30 years. You now basically know nothing and you have to start again. We've taken away all your familiar tricks and we've thrown them in the dustbin. You're now completely magically rebooted and you have to start from scratch. And that makes you think, ooh, now is this something that is absolutely terrible or would it be really interesting? Would it be something like, hey, actually, what would I do? What would I do if my magic life had to be rebooted? Would I go off in a completely different direction? I mean, I started magic, as I've mentioned already in this podcast, in the mid-60s when I was about... 10 years of age that's why I got into it seriously did my first public show when I was 11 so when you think about that and the way that the world was and the availability of magic in the 60s it was really hard to get information it was really hard to to get hold of props to get books and things like that in order to stimulate the interest that I that I was getting for magic compare that to now if I was rebooting myself and suddenly dropped into the 21st century. Okay, start magic. Wow. I mean, talk about the world is your oyster. There are so many different things that you can access, particularly, obviously, online information with tremendous ease and freedom. You could go down a completely different road because you'd, you'd be able to make choices instead of being limited by what's available. If just about everything is available in one form or another, you would be able to make choices about what you fancy doing, perhaps. So people coming into magic who not necessarily be rebooting, but just starting at this time, 
perhaps they have a lot more choice or maybe that choice is too daunting you know when in the 60s if all you can get hold of are little packet tricks or something then you get an in, you start off with an interest in packet magic packet trick magic so at least it focuses your attention on what you can get hold of whereas if you can get hold of just about anything information about all different aspects of magic it could become almost overwhelming i don't know what the answer to that is but i just thought it would be fun to to for you and for me of course to think about if i had to magically reboot myself would i just go down the same path and do if i'd been a card magician for the last 20 years would i just go back and do all cards again starting from scratch or would i do sponge balls would i do tricks with large illusions and an accompaniment of of um, lady assistants or what you know would it be completely different i think it's a fascinating thought not as annoying however as when microsoft takes over your computer and just stops you doing what you know you need to do now that that's that's seriously annoying whereas a magical reboot might be quite fun now although admittedly this year is probably going to be a bit different in many ways around christmas time under normal circumstances you would expect to perhaps go to a party i don't mean to entertain i mean just as a guest to a party and it may be that it's let's say your partner's work colleagues or people who don't know you either at all or very well and you get into conversation don't you with people and and eventually the subject will come up about what you do now when you're a magician especially a professional magician the temptation sometimes anyway to say i'm an undertaker in order to stop the conversation uh, is almost overwhelming because you know that once you say you're a magician often people get overly excited and want you to start performing for no reason for them and and all this sort of thing because magic is intrinsically to most people who are not involved really really interesting and of course it is interesting it's unusual and certainly as a job or as a semi if you're a semi pro as a semi pro job it is almost unique in, in other people's experience they've never come across a magician before and so they want to ask you all sorts of things about magic and i was thinking about what would it be like if the tables were turned so that other jobs actually were all terribly interesting and that magic was the one that was not interesting and to that end i'm going to sort of um, read you out a little piece that i wrote it was called the party i wrote it years ago and i used to have a section in my on my website called the comedy zone where i put various uh, funny and in inverted because well i thought they were funny funny articles and so on and this was one of them it was only a short one um but i think it's kind of appropriate at this time of year when we might get asked well what do you do in your spare time to think about if the situation was reversed so here is how some conversations at a party might go person number one so what do you do for a living then person number two i'm a plumber person number one really how interesting hey you must come round and fix our central heating sometime person number three so what do you do for a living then person number four i'm a singer person number 3 really how interesting go on then give us a song person number 5 so what do you do for a living then person number 6 i'm a hairdresser 
person number five. Really? How interesting. Bet you can't change my wife's hairstyle. <laughs> person number seven. So what do you do for a living then? Person number eight. I'm a bank manager. Person number seven. Really? How interesting. But what's your real job? Person number nine. So what do you do for a living then? Person number ten. I'm a scientist. Person number nine. Really? How interesting. Do you know Einstein? Person number eleven. So what do you do for a living then? Person number twelve. I'm a professional magician. Oh yeah, pass the crisps, will you? See what I mean? be strange wouldn't it to be uh, on the other side of that situation and suddenly we were no longer as interesting as we always believed that we were and everybody else was hugely interesting well whatever we managed to do this Christmas whether it's parties or just families getting together and it looks like certainly in the UK that the rules are going to be relaxed for f at least for five days around Christmas itself so that more than I think it's up to three families can get together and have a proper Christmas, which for us is 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 marvelous because both my my children and their families will be able to come and spend Christmas with us, which is which is great for us, and we're really looking forward to it. So assuming that all goes ahead, I hope that you too will have a great Christmas. Those performers like me who are not doing any shows, just have to uh, enjoy yourself the best you can. Try not to think about the money you've lost. You'll only become bitter and twisted and just have a nice Christmas for once. And uh, I will look forward to seeing you all back here again next year for hopefully a better year all round. Bye for now.